I'm impressed. Hey, Vasquez. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? <laughs> oh, Vasquez. <Wow. laughs> it is too bad. I only need to know one thing. Where they are. Joe Vasquez, kick ass. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Fuck you, man. Hey, everybody. This is D&J's Epic Quest. This is Derek and... Hey, my name is Justin. And today we have uh, a little meandering from our Malzan quest. We're going to do a little side quest into some aliens territory today. Um, covering not quite the first half of Aliens Vasquez. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's definitely not going to be a three and a half hour episode for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, which at this point in time, I'm thankful to kind of step away and uh, get to reconnect with you real quick on, on on some really cool stuff. Yeah, it'll be a little bit different, but somewhat similar. So that'll be OK. Um, this this is a book I was pretty excited to pick up from the time I found found out about it. So I'm, I'm glad we're. In between things here, we're making a little time, I guess, this week. I don't want to say we really have, like, a free week, but um, right. we, we got some time here to, to do this. Absolutely. And it's funny that you bring up Vasquez, because I remember you, we talked, like, you were talking, we were texting about it, what was it, uh, April or May of this year? You were like, yeah, this book, you know, releases in October. And I was like, oh, we got, I got plenty of time to get it. And then October shows up, and I'm like, damn it, I didn't pre-order it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we got it, and yeah, we're not, not quite halfway through, but here we are. Right. I do have my signed copy, hopefully in the mail. Um, so yeah, I guess we plan on covering the first half, or roughly first half of this book, um, and then the next episode will be a, uh, you know, basically the last half, i.e. the whole book, so to speak. Uh, we will have a guest from The Perfect Organism uh, joining us for that episode as well. And then we plan on, I guess, making it a trifecta. And the third episode should be uh, an interview with the author of Vasquez, uh, V. Castro. Which will be cool, but we don't have a date nailed down for that yet, just since we haven't finished the book, but that will probably be sometime early next year. Exactly. That's the plan. And I'm looking forward to it. So I think that'll be yeah. fun. But yeah, I guess uh, it's been, I feel, I feel like it's been a while since we've, we've done this. <laughs> it always feels like it's been a long time since we've talked, even though it hasn't really, I guess I don't no. remember what we recorded, but it always feels longer than what it is. Yeah, that's true. And I just, you know, we have two forms that we talk. We we have this and then, you know, almost, I would say more often now every day we're talking via messenger. So yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. How was your, uh, how was, how was the book crawl yesterday? It was a lot of fun. Um, poor Matt, he is the day before it. So what day was it yesterday? Saturday. So Friday, sometime Friday his car got stolen. Um, oh, and, God. 
Yeah, I, he's, I don't know what kind of car he has. He, I think he said it was a Kia or a Hyundai, but it got stolen. The cops came to take the statement from him and whatever they do, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I guess they told him that there's like a TikTok challenge because apparently those cars are easy to steal for one reason or another. And I guess there's like a big class action lawsuit going on about it, he said. Um, so he was, I mean... I think anybody would be kind of down in the dumps about that, you know, upset, mad. Um, I don't know, just probably feeling like your privacy has been invaded and all that, but. Um, well, right. And after, you know, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just after I got home from it, he had, we had a, uh, Matt had a, a Twitter like message group for all of us, but they, they did find the car Saturday night somewhere. I think he said it was an impound lot, but. It, uh, they recovered it at least, which he was excited about, it, happy, um, but it sounds like it took a beating. He said it wasn't operable, so you win some, you lose some, I guess, but uh, just being with some some friends, you know, it was fun meeting these people for the first time in person. We'd talked to Matt before, but it was cool to meet him in person, and I wish it could have been under better circumstances just uh, for his sake, but... Yeah, I, I think it, it cheered him up just going to some bookstores, and they were really cool. Um, I, I picked up a few things, and um, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. I was uh, kind of bummed that uh, I wasn't able to go, but basketball in the morning, 8 o'clock sharp. And then after that, my two, my two children had uh, dental appointments. And then I think I got like an hour of downtime, and then we had to go uh, – to a my youngest daughter's cheerleading competition so yeah we didn't get home until about six o'clock last night and then it was supper and showers and getting ready for bed and yeah it was a busy day for you yeah busiest it's been in in a long time it's been a minute since i've had to just constantly be going and running but that's all good it's all good yeah um oh i got home and my my wife she's she hasn't been feeling good this week and um, since like Wednesday. And she took a COVID test Wednesday. It was negative, but she took one yesterday and it was positive. So she's got COVID for the third time. So, Oh, my gosh. Luckily, I mean, she's it's just been kind of like a cold. So it's not been too bad. It's just more annoying. She was supposed to work up in the cities today, make a little extra money. But obviously that didn't happen. But um, her work's going off her symptom start date. They said she can come to work tomorrow. So. As long as she's not feeling worse or anything like that. Well, uh, I'm glad that she's uh, at the end of it. Uh, I wish her a, a speedy recovery. Yeah, she's just, I think, frustrated that it's hit her three times. And, and you know, I mean, we've got the vaccinations and all that, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Do you ever get, I mean, this is probably just like maybe not, not even philosophical, but just, do you ever think that like this is how the flu got so bad? Was that just it was allowed to go rampant amongst the citizens and then all of these variations formed. And now that's why we have to get flu shots and COVID is essentially flu 2.0. I guess I don't know. I've never really thought about it that much. I couldn't tell you the last time I've had a flu shot, but yeah, um, I don't know. I have a couple of years ago. I, I, I guess like it would have been a few months before COVID hit. I had the flu. I wasn't puking or anything, but I had a fever for a couple of days and, that was about it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to knock on wood here. Um, Cause either I've had it a bunch of times and just don't know, but I, uh, I got it 
before the vaccine was available. And that was like the worst two weeks of my life. Like I was taking hot showers like every 30 minutes. <laughs> just sweating and because like cold feeling, I guess. Yeah, I just I breathe in the steam, you know. Um oh sure. Yeah, to just hopefully flush it out, but also it just yeah. And then I get underneath the covers like while I'm still fucking scalding hot, you know, like water so hot your your skeleton's coming out. Um <laughs> yeah. So and then I get under the covers and then like I just sauna myself and yeah, I keep my body warm so that it can do what it needs to do to expunge the shit. Right. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess uh, <laughs> lots of catching up. So I guess that maybe it has been really that long. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I guess. Well, well yeah, let's... Uh, you want to get into Vasquez here? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, this will... I think we're going to keep to our same format here that we normally have um we'll see how it goes but yeah i don't think there's gonna be i don't know how much we'll have to to talk about and and everything but we'll just take it as it comes right yeah um as far as you know um don't know if this is the right term or not but you know the the understanding of what is happening is is i guess pretty easy there's not like a lot of things that you have to guess via like Erickson or Malzan books of the fallen, for example, um, it was very, it was very digestible. I guess you could say, you know, you don't, you don't, you could just chew and swallow. You don't necessarily have to chew like a rough piece of meat, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it's been a fun read and it's, uh, it's, it's not what I expected, I guess. Um, not that that is bad. Um, but it's it's definitely been a, a it, it's not the book I thought it was going to be. I guess is probably the best way I can put it. Right. Yeah. No. And I think that uh, most people feel that way. And you know, uh, like an egg teetering on a fence. Sometimes they fall in the good direction. Sometimes they fall in the bad. So. Uh, did you want to take what? How did you want to do this? I guess I don't know. I don't. I did. I think we talked about this. But did you want the odd sections here or evens well i think we were gonna because i wrote the evens outside of the first two uh the first two sections because those those you wrote so i think i think what we were gonna do is we were gonna read each other's sections because it would it was fun that last time that one time that we did it so i think we're uh, gonna, for the whole episode is what i thought okay so you're gonna take you'll take the odds then yeah yeah i'll uh i'll start us off okay so we meet Jeanette Vasquez in a boot slash training camp, getting yelled at by her supervisor. Vasquez is thinking about everything that is going on against her. She's a woman, brown skin, the last few days hardly eating anything except MREs. He thought about her motivation to prove everyone wrong, her friends she was forced to leave, and her twins, Leticia and Ramon. She was only able to hold her children long enough to give them names before they were stripped away from her. At first, she thought she could she would die in prison, but she was able to secure release into the USCM. But during her first trimester pregnancy, she was forced to sign over all rights to her children. Coming back to reality, Jeanette was preparing for her fight with an android. This was the test to become a colonial marine. Though it was a hard-fought battle, she was able to overcome 
or was able to come through and was victorious in her final evaluation and joined the ranks of the Marines. After she exits the fighting pit, she runs into Drake, who congratulates her and says they will need to party later after his evaluation. She tells him not to underestimate it. It's fast and tough. Did you, I guess when you read this, did you have the understanding that this was the same Drake from the movie? I guess I don't, I don't remember how familiar with the movies you are and names and everything. So I did, I'm not sure if you knew of that connection. I guess it's, so this is the really interesting part about me as an Aliens fans, or maybe it's not. I may, I may not be as unique as I think I am, but I don't, when I, I guess when I watch movies, I'm looking at it for artistic inspiration. So like, like secondary characters aren't necessarily a focus when I'm watching a movie. I'm usually focused on, I guess, what you would call the main attraction, right? Or the story. I'm trying to understand all of the clicks of the story and don't necessarily like pay attention to the background. So no, to answer your question in a very long-winded fashion, I didn't realize that that was Drake. Um, but okay. it wasn't until four chapters later where I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch Aliens. So that's what I did. And now uh, I know. Yeah. Okay. And then I started paying attention to particularly Vasquez in that movie. And it's funny because when I watched it, I was thinking, I'm like, I, I, this whole time I thought that she died way earlier in the movie. And that's not the case at all. No, it's, it's within the last probably 20-ish minutes or so. Right. So that's, the, the, I guess that's just kind of, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've gotten a lot of shit over the years for like how I watch movies and even the movies that like I enjoy and will watch over and over again. So it kind of doesn't surprise me that um, I may be a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, you're not weird, but yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a ton here. Uh, I mean, you know, we find out that she had kids, you know, and, and twins at that and, didn't even get a chance to really know them. They were born and then taken away, and that was about it. So beyond, I mean, I'm, you and I will never be pregnant. Um, no, but I would, I would imagine that that uh, even just having that bond, you know, you're carrying these children inside of you. Um, that would be hard to overcome. I think, you know, they're just taken away immediately. Oh, absolutely. I mean, while I can't directly sympathize, you know, I just going back to even just when my own children are born, like just imagining like, oh, okay, here they are. And then you see them for a brief second and then you'll never see them again. You know, like just thinking about that is, is, is heartbreaking. So yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I thought, I thought that I wasn't really expecting the whole pregnancy. I wasn't expecting the twins for that matter. Um, you know, and I guess it's just, I, the, I guess the cool thing about, you know, books and, and comic books and, and graphic novels is that like, there's this ability to expand upon interesting side characters, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of it. I have the novelization for Alien, Aliens and Alien 3. And once we finish this book, I'll probably read those when, you know, I'm not reading Malazan. But I, I know from the novelization of Aliens that, and I don't think it goes very deep, but it talks about how Vasquez and Drake like met 
or it alludes that they were in like jail or whatever together. And then, you know, we get the story that expands upon that. Right. A little bit. Right. Um, fleshes it out. So Exactly. Exactly. Um, I guess I guess my final thought for this particular chapter was I thought the, the battle with the, the Android robot was was pretty cool. Like I could visualize her and this, you know, Android going at it. So I thought that that was well written. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, what she she had her switchblade on her, and she wasn't supposed to, but nobody told her she couldn't have it. It was kind of one of those deals, and she ends up using that to fuck the thing up. Right. She got creative. Yes. Resourceful. Yeah. Resourceful. There you go. Much better term. Which I could see why you know it was likely not stated because. I'm assuming that's also something that it looks favorably upon her as far as the, the Marines go. I don't think they liked it at first that she had it, but right. But that was kind of my sense is they're like, Hey, like you should have done that. But I, I mean, if you're in a battle, like legitimate battle, you're going to, it doesn't matter what the hell you do. Like you just, you got to survive. So they're, fight dirty. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Exactly, exactly. And um, the ability to show resourcefulness, I think it was something that, uh, you know, I risk versus reward thing. She took a risk, mainly so that she could stay in the Marines, which um, she must be there for a reason. So, uh, well, I mean, we kind of find out that reason a little bit later. Right, exactly. Just some early preluding. <laughs> right. But yeah. I, yeah. It was, uh, the. Uh... <laughs> The first line of dialogue in this book was <laughs> the uh, drill instructor or whatever. You just yelling at her and calling her a dumb fuck. And so it, it started out pretty quick with, with uh, you know, it's like a kind of like a shark attack in the military, I suppose. Yeah, I imagined uh, when I read that uh, Full Metal Jacket when he's getting fucking yelled at on the line, you know. Well, that's that's like the best opening ten minutes to any movie or however mm -hmm. long it is. But yeah, I guess that those are my only thoughts about that first uh, first chapter there. Okay. All right. Well, I will take us through chapter two. We are seeing Vasquez in her youth and growing up and family life. As a teenager, she ends up in foster care with a family that means well, but doesn't pay much attention. We see her with her friends and learn that Vasquez is bi-curious. She is attracted to a female friend and a male friend and recognizes that she is attracted to each for different reasons. They are all in a car driving through a rival neighborhood. One friend pulls out a gun and asks her to hold the gun for a moment, where she realizes the power a gun has. It holds life and death. Her friend takes it back and says they will only be giving a, quote, warning shot. They fire a few rounds out of the car as they drive. Later that night at a party that is getting a little too loud, the cops show up and everyone scatters. Vasquez and her friend Liberty run for it. Liberty takes a fall and messes up her face. They are stopped by a cop with his gun drawn. Vasquez doesn't want any trouble and says her friend is hurt and that they didn't do anything. The cop says then they shouldn't be here. A door opened from a nearby house and two members of the gang came running out. Two gunshots went off and Vasquez and Liberty hit the deck. Looking up, they saw the cop with his gun drawn was the one who shot. He had his gun pointed at them. Vasquez told him to fuck off. She saw what he did. 
Liberty tried to quiet her and warn her she'd only make things worse. The cop came and wrestled her into submission while forcing the, his gun into her hands, all while Liberty called for help that wasn't coming. Paramedics showed up and tell the cop to get up. He says she took his gun and shot the other two. The cop told the paramedics to take both of them back, to take both of them in, rather, and to check Vasquez for knives. She had pulled one on him. Vasquez winds up in court with a unsympathetic judge. It was a he said, she said situation, and they took the cop's word over hers. She would get a, quote, course correction, and that the case was closed. Her public court defender said that he did as best he could for her. She needs to do what she has to to survive. Um, I don't know if I did a great job summarizing that, but basically, yeah, Vasquez is at this party with her friend Liberty. She's got the hots for her, and they go somewhere to be, I guess, private. And, um, yeah, the cops show up. The cop's got his gun drawn, and then I don't know if, Maybe you remember a little bit more, but some other people go running and yeah, basically the cop shot somebody and killed somebody. And then he tries to pin it on Vasquez. Um, and the, the, the court didn't have any sympathy for her when really they didn't do anything at all. They were just, they, I mean, they witnessed this was all that happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of what I caught too is bad, bad policing, which I think is a um, something that, very much corresponds to some of the, the systematic issues that we're seeing today. So I think that that is kind of a direct reflection of that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, there's there's a few things you could draw pretty pretty direct comparisons to in, in our world today. And, you know, dirty cops is definitely one of them. Right. Yeah. The unsympathetic judge. She's a woman of color, etc. Yeah, I mean, the minority in court, and I, I mean, at this point, she didn't even have a record. She maybe wasn't hanging out with, I guess, like probably the right people, you know. Um, but really, she hadn't done anything. Right. Exactly. She definitely hadn't done anything, and she ended up in the system. Yep. Yeah, I, I did think the, you know, when she gets to hold a gun for the first time, it was kind of a, a, a powerful moment. Uh, you know, you realize what it can do. And I mean, I, I hunt, um, you know, I've just, you know, I've, I've shot guns. Um, and I guess I've never really thought of it that way because I've never intended to use a gun for that purpose. It's, you know, it's just been hunting pheasants or ducks, um, small game. So it's yeah. like, I guess, yeah, it's good. To, it's got life and death when I hold it, but it's, I've never thought, never thought about shooting a person. Um, right. Yeah. It's got some, it's a tool, right? Like it's a tool in, in hunting small game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely know what that's like. And, and I can understand where you're coming from because thinking about it that way, that's something that like, while I'm holding or have held guns, I'm not, that is not a thought that is crossing my mind. Right. But and and you know at the root the root of it it's it's true right I mean if you really think about it like that is a hundred percent dead on yeah it is but I don't think I really had anything else to pick out of there um, yeah just things are things are escalating quickly you know I mean and I guess the way that like I read these first two chapters is is just you know very much like movie esque you know like we kind of 
see where Vasquez is currently, but the timeline is is kind of jumbled around a little bit. So we get a moment of blah blah blah. You know, we get uh, <laughs> kind of like a backstory, like the beginning of a backstory, so to speak, with with the second daughter. Right. So, you know, she's young. She's hanging out with some friends. Um, we get a little bit of her, you know, sexual curiosity, which totally cool. Like it adds to the depth of the character. And then some very unfortunate circumstances that uh, are all too familiar. Yeah. But um, yeah, I if if there are no thoughts for that chapter, I'm cool to move on. Yeah. Go ahead and take us through chapter three. All right. Jeanette is having a hard time adjusting to her cell. Her cellie, Daisy, observes this and does her best to reassure her. The cellmates exchange stories on how they arrive there and their similarities in life. Unexpectedly, Hanson, the douchebag guard, opens their cell and gives Jeanette a bunch of shit about being a cop killer. He mistreats her as he rambles on about rules in the cell. Jeanette and Daisy found solace as pillow friends. One night, Jeanette has a moment where she where she revived her memories of the or relived her memories of the soldiers in her family, imagining old Seraphin dancing with her dancing and Salda Deras. I didn't take Spanish. I'm so sorry if I butchered that, with their long braids. With nothing but time in, in the prison, Jeanette sought out books in the prison library. The content surrounded itself around military and physical training. Jeanette gets a tear tattoo under her eye as Daisy taught art and does tattooing. Jeanette decided to bulk up, and in the weight room, she met Drake. As she kept going, he was always there. Eventually, they began working out together. Hanson, the douchebag CO, gives Jeanette shit about being able to lift a certain amount of pounds. Jeanette does it and challenges him to do better. Well, he cowers like a fucking coward he is, and since that day, Hanson hassled her dramatically less. I, I the one thing I really liked about this chapter is, uh, you know, they explain why she got the tear tattoo under her eye, and it's it wasn't because of like the typical like reason you hear about people getting those, you know, because they murdered somebody. Right. It was it was because she was never going to let anybody see her cry again. Right. Yeah. No, I thought that that was really powerful. Um, you know, but it, at the same time, it's like it's one of those really small details, right? Like that is something distinctive about her in the Aliens movie, and it's just nice to have like a thing that connects the two, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, I kind of always wondered why she had it in the movie. You know, if it was just, I know in the movie they they were allowed to decorate their armor themselves. However, you know their armor and their guns and all that shit, like. James Cameron said, do whatever you want with it. Make it your own. Because he put him through, like, I don't remember how long it was, like a two-week boot camp or something like that. Oh, really? To, uh, yeah, to just to build, like, like a team-building thing so that it felt authentic. Um, and it, it it pays off on screen, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they all got to adorn their armor how they wanted and, um, you know, a little saying. So I thought maybe that was just kind of part of it. But, you know, this this gives a little, gives the backstory to it. Um which I, I like knowing. I, I didn't really feel like it was like, oh man, it should have just been, you know, left alone and, and a mystery. It, it didn't bother me that much. Gotcha. Did you catch uh, Davies or uh, sorry, uh, Daisy's last name? 
Paxton, like yep. Bill Paxton. Yep. I figure that must have uh, been the case. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I am so bad with like pop culture stuff, but he passed away, didn't he? Uh, it's been a few years. Yes. I don't remember what year it was, but, uh, yeah, he did pass. So I feel like that was a nice little homage, uh, to Bill Paxton there. Yeah, it was. I I'm sure that's exactly what it was too. Yeah. It was purposeful. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought that there was a lot of good, uh, good stuff in this chapter. It was really kind of cool that, uh, to see her persevere. Right. And like, take this concept of I'm never going to cry again. She's going to get a a physical reminder of that. And then she's just going to simply do better as they say, you know, keep pushing herself. And I think that I don't remember if it was her or Daisy, but I'm pretty sure it was Daisy was telling her, you know, be a big tree with roots that are like firmly planted in the ground, you know? Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was a cool, cool quote. I like that. Yeah. It, it was so it just it it goes to show very early on i mean we're three chapters into it and like you can already get a sense of like vasquez's determination you know and even kind of going along along the lines of the switchblade in the first chapter right like and the the the, the gun in the second chapter it's just like those are just small clues towards this i think or i feel yeah, yeah just uh, and that that like deep thinking and yeah that go against all... attitude. Sorry, no, you're 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 all good, man. Just yeah, it's I think that that is it because you see her in the movie and she's just kind of gruff and un- unapproachable. And I, when you first meet her, you're like, oh, this chick, like you don't want to mess with her. And I mean, now we kind of see what she went through and and why she isn't somebody to mess with and why she is, you know, why she is the way she is. Right. Yeah. I think it's all just kind of like, I kind of see it like a paint by numbers thing or maybe not even paint by numbers specifically, but just, you know, you have this outline sketch of, of who Vasquez is as like a person acting in this movie, but then you've got these first three chapters and and again, we'll continue on uh, that just kind of slowly fill in kind of the, the missing pieces, so to speak. So like, I, I found that that was really cool. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I have anything else <laughs> to comment on that chapter. Yeah, this this is moving along a little quicker than we're we're used to, but it's all good. Right. All right, chapter 4. A guard opened Jeanette's cell and told her that she had a visitor. Behind the visitation glass sat the lawyer at her trial. He tells her that he has an offer for her. Without hesitation, she agrees. The lawyer whips out paperwork for her to go over. Jeanette was finally getting her dream. She was going to be a Marine. She couldn't wait to share the news. On her way back, she passed across Hanson, the DBCO, douchebag correctional (laughs) officer. (laughs) I was trying to figure out what what that stood for. Uh, She tells him adios, then flips him the bird. She first gave the news to her celly, Daisy. Daisy didn't take it very well, and got the sense of selfishness here as she couldn't be happy for Jeanette. Next was Drake. He was more ecstatic to hear the news and shared with her that he was also joining the Marines. On her 18th birthday, she would be released. And when that day came for the first time in years, she felt free. Rosanna wasn't able to get off work to see Jeanette, but they had talked via video call. 
there was a week before training started. So she and Drake went to the bar. Drake had had some honey. Honeys. Sorry. Honey. Okay. Drake, Drake was, he was balling. He had a couple women and Jeanette met Lorenzo. The week goes by with training and making sexy time with Lorenzo until it was time for him and her to leave. Eight weeks later, she found out she was pregnant and with twins through a routine drug test. Because she was in the Marines, an emergency hearing was scheduled. The judge gives her 24 hours to decide if she's going to keep her babies. Her sister, Rosanna, was a therapist, so who better to talk to? Rosanna ends up telling Jeanette that she wants her babies and that she wants them to stay in the family. Jeanette agrees to give all rights to her sister. So, yeah, she... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's really weird, because this is one of the sections that I wrote. So, clearly, I wrote it before we decided on who was reading it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was it, yeah, it was interesting having someone else read my section. Uh, but, yeah, it was fun. That was fun. Yeah. It's... It, you know, I mean, we're, we're summarizing these pretty shortly, but yeah, they, you know, they, <laughs> Drake and Vasquez, they, they have a, I think it was longer than a week, wasn't it, that they had before training? Uh, Even if it wasn't, I guess, I don't know, but yeah, they basically drank and partied for a week since they were out of jail. And uh, yeah, Lorenzo, he was, he was also in the military and she like stayed at his place for a week and they made sexy time. They made sexy time and they made <laughs> twins. I could, yeah, I could, I could hear you giggling when you read that. So that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it, uh, you know, I remember, I remember reading that where Rosanna tells her that she would take them, and I remember there was a line in there about her rolling her eyes, and so it made me kind of question, like, was she just saying it to? appear like the good sister it made me question i mean did she really want to do it or not um i mean i don't know i don't know if you remember that line or not i think that that happened because we kind of get two we get two perspectives of this particular call we get one from Jeanette's, which is the one in this section and then we get another perspective of this conversation from rosanna i didn't catch that though but i feel like what you're talking about might be like a couple chapters later if that makes any sense yeah i couldn't remember i guess if it was in this but yeah there you're right there was we we do see it from the other perspective but one of one of them yeah it said rosanna had rolled her eye or tried not to roll her eyes well uh saying that she would take them because it it caught Jeanette off guard um and we also find out that so yeah, you get 24 hours to make this decision, whether you keep them or not after they're born, after you abort them, she's getting sterilized. So she's, if she decides not to keep them, she's not going to have the option later on in life to potentially have kids. Right. And doesn't the government take her eggs and use them to how they see fit? I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Which I thought was yeah. really fucked up. Like, oh wow, damn. I mean, you're gonna have a bunch of miniature. I guess I would correlate it to you know donating sperm, right? You know, just non I mean, like, non-contact. Just the thought about like how many kids you have out there is is a little bit daunting. Yeah, like cloning, you know, but or something. But yeah, it's not like she had a say in this. They're just like, well, it's inside. 
you fucked up. We're going to do this whether you like it or not. So, Right. And I thought that that was, scenario, that was a scenario either way, though. Like, whether she, um, you know, chose abortion or if she chose to adopt or if, you know, set them up for adoption or to give them away yeah. to, you know. Am I wrong in that? Nope. You are 100% right. Okay. It, was, it was happening either way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I think that it just kind of goes back to a little bit of the heartlessness that you get in this this universe, this government, you know, pretty harsh. And that's that's the big thing. Like, um, I mean, if, if you listen to any of like a perfect organism or even if you go back and listen to uh, Xenomorphing, a high mind podcast, they'll talk a lot about how, I mean, yeah, the, the aliens are like a threat. They are an enemy, but really the real enemy is like the Wayland yutani Corporation, which is effectively more powerful than the government. Um, mm-hmm. So you just, you get this, it, it's just cold and heartless and this co- the company doesn't care. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's kind of the sense that I get from the movies too. Even the two prequels. I haven't watched those in a while, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm due, due to watch, rewatch them again here sometime soon. I really liked Prometheus. I liked it better than Covenant, but um, I definitely, definitely liked Prometheus. Yeah, it was different. And even like I saw Covenant the opening day, um, and I remember leaving the movie theater and just being like, huh, like just kind of like <laughs> underwhelmed. But the more I watch it, the more I like it. Um, but yeah, it just, it, I don't know. It's, I think some of it, you know, it was like the trailers for the movie, you know, because I watched those and it, it gave away. I hate movie trailers because they give away so much. So like I knew the backburster was coming. Like I would have rather have not known it would have made, and I don't know, like, like it was tense, but it, it wasn't like scary because like, you just kind of know that's what happens with, with these things. Yeah. It didn't burst out his chest, you know, it burst out his back. And then the other guy had one come out of his throat, but um, yeah, just my random tangent there. No, I mean, it makes sense though. I mean, you know, these, from what I understand, David kind of helped design these creatures, so to speak. So I'm sure that they're, you know, very new at this point and haven't quite figured out the best place in a human for incubation. Well, in, in like in Covenant, you know, it's the little like spore things traveling in the air and going in, you know, whether you're it's going in your nose or Oh, that's fair, yeah. Or whatever. So yeah, it's a little different. A little different. I get why they're doing it, though. Got to keep things fresh. Yeah, but I guess I don't have anything else to comment on that uh, that chapter there. All right, go ahead. All right, this one's a shorty. Surprisingly, we get Vasquez's death scene from the movie. The only additional insight we get is that she's thinking of her kids in her last moments and that she would die with honor, finding a place among her Solidera's ancestors. I was not expecting this. And I think that this is the part um, that that egg analogy that I gave earlier, where a lot of people fall on the wrong side. I I can see that. Uh, I wasn't expecting it either. Um, But man, I mean, that her, I guess, if you want to call it like last stand is just such like an iconic part of the movie. Um, Oh, right. Yeah. She's got the grenade. They're in like the vent tunnel. Um, I forget what nuts is there. The like commander dude. Gorman. Gorman, there it is. Yeah. And they just 
basically allow Ripley and, and Newt to get out safely, you know? Yeah, I just I still wasn't wasn't expecting this and I <laughs> I felt like I, I know the first time I read this, I it might come off kinda of harsh, but I felt like cheated at first. I'm oh. like, Well, what the hell? Like I thought this was a book about Vasquez and we're five chapters in and she's gone and then I'm thinking, Well, okay, well maybe it'll circle back around somehow and at least at the point where we are, that has not happened yet. Um but as I, as we kept reading, I, I kind of came to a realization, and I, well, we can talk about it later. But um, I realized that it, I, I really wasn't bothered by it. Yeah, I, I don't, I wasn't bothered by it, by it either. And I think that reading, but be, between the lines, um, and again, you know, this is something we could probably talk about at the end of the chapter here. But I feel like there's, there's a lot to take away from doing it this way and i think that it's actually very strategic i kind of think of it like the the upcoming chapters and potentially even beyond what we've read have you ever seen the movie the descent uh is that the one like with the in the cave with like the creature things yeah yeah a long time ago i don't remember much from it but i have seen it so i don't i don't know if i'll make any connections with whatever you say but uh we'll see how much i remember and it has nothing to do with really, you know, anything specific, but I just, a lot of people are very turned off by that movie because of the first 45 minutes. It's very, it feels almost like a team building exercise that you would do at work. Like it's very, it's very buddy, buddy, you know, they're, they're establishing relationships between each other. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to get through, but it makes the rest of the movie that much power, that much more powerful. Like if it was just a movie where the relationships hadn't been set up or built up to be, and you know, anything that you as a watcher could relate to, I don't think that that movie would have had as much punch. So I feel like that is, is a very similar thing to everything after chapter five here. Okay. If yeah, it's like like I said, it's been a long time since I've watched that movie. But I, after I kind of had some time to, I guess, absorb it and just take it in, um, it it gave me some new perspective on it. Because the right. whole time, like when like when I picked up this book, you know, you're looking at the cover, you got Vasquez on there, and there's aliens. Well, yeah, that could be true. It could be Letitia. Um, but I, I just kept wondering, like how. How are we going to have Vasquez deal with aliens in this book? Right. You know, because in one of the other uh, extended universe um, alien books, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, it might be Out of the Shadows. Uh, it, it, it takes place between the first and second movie. So Ripley is in this book. They, like, find her ship floating around in space. Yeah. Bef- like, they do at the beginning of the second movie, but before that, obviously. Um, and she deals with the aliens again. And basically at the end of the book, like they wipe her memory and put her back in her escape pod and send her off. Like it never happened basically. Um, and it, it wasn't a bad book. It was pretty good, but like it's, if I was, if it was going to be something like that, it, I kind of felt like it, it's already been done. Why are we doing this? You know, something that's already been done. So I, I don't, I, I feel like this is probably going to be it 
for Jeanette Vasquez that we see in the book, which, yeah, definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah. No, absolutely. I totally, I 100% agree with you. And I don't think that it's a bad thing. And I might get a lot of flack for that, but like that is truly what I believe. I don't think that anything after these five chapters are necessarily bad. I just think it goes back to my descent reference. Gotcha. But yeah, I'm I'm cool. I don't have any other particular comments on that very short chapter. <laughs> okay. But I feel like it definitely is the most important, which is also very speaking quite a lot about a very like this chapter itself was what two paragraphs, half a page maybe. Yeah, I, I you know, it was pretty short. Yeah. But it's definitely the one that is is causing the most conversation uh yeah i'm sure it probably drove most of it this is probably where people i would think were probably and again we haven't finished the book so we'll see what the rest of it brings but i can see where this maybe derails it for some people right exactly exactly well should we move on here let's do her all right chapter six dr brenda moon never expected to accept a position in weapons but it set herself and her family up for generational wealth. Wayland yutani had been in the making for years with intensive terraforming and harnessing of its immense geothermal energy. It was a pet project launched by Meredith Vickers before she died. Interesting that we get a uh, Prometheus reference right there. Um, well, once the terraforming was complete, it was the perfect, perfect for a scientific outpost. Dr. Moon stared through the glass at the charred remains of the creature that had burst through the human's chest, a creature who had become the object of her weapons development team. Dr. Gilda Patel approaches Dr. Moon as they watch, and they watched as a team cleans the area while the creature was killed. Dr. Moon had been tasked with finding a way to get past the xenomorph's sophisticated immune system. The bacterium was not only, was not, the only project they were working on. Dr. Moon thinks about the xenomorphs and how versatile they are and how they seem to be immune to everything until now. Phase two started as a young xenomorph entered the chamber that had been outfitted to withstand their acidic blood. A small ball entered the arena and approached the xenomorph. It was unable to dodge or get around the ball. When the ball was close enough, it exploded. The ball impaled the xenomorph with bacteria and a man was sent in to collect the samples from the dying Xeno. The bacteria had immobilized the acidic blood, which led to its death. Dr. Moon is approached and told that she is ready. In the room she arrived at was a young queen strapped to a gurney. This was, excuse me, she was about to receive her crown. The young queen had a bullet size PTFE cylinders. Justin, I don't remember what that stands for. I don't either. And uh, PT, so bullet sized PTFE cylinders and drilled it into her soft cranium. The laser scalpel was used then to saw off her lower mandible, half her tail, and then her legs and arms at the joints. She was completely immobilized with the sole purpose for reproduction. Dr. Patel asked Dr. Moon what was next. Moon's reply was to wait and see if the queen starts to produce eggs so they can kill the species off. I like this chapter. Uh, it was it was I really don't... go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I like this chapter. It was it was really dark. Um and, it, it, yeah. It was. 
Um, I don't remember a lot from it, I guess. But I do remember, yeah, them like just ch- chopping this queen up, basically. Um, like, well, maybe it's just going to be pissed off now and it's not going to reproduce, but we'll just have to wait and see. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that they've definitely come up with, I guess, some type of way to thwart the xenomorph um, by creating this bacterium that essentially makes the acidic blood redundant, which therefore, right, like bullets are going to be a lot more devastating because there's no spray. There's no acidic spray, you know. So, you know, you definitely get the, the sense of testing and... You know, but this, I mean, you're fucking, you're playing with fire here. It's just like, like, I love, I love crocodiles. I will never own one though, because I respect, I respect the animal for what it is. And it's like pure naturalistic instinct. And like, you kind of get the sense that like, they're playing with fire and you don't really get, you don't really know where this chapter is going. Because you kind of get the sense that like all shit's gonna like all shit's gonna break loose, but I mean it doesn't. So yeah, it just it had me on edge this that whole chapter. So yeah, this was probably the other one that that I was I favorited quite a bit. Yeah, it was it was cool, and like I said, it was it was kind of neat to see a reference to Vickers. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that, but just. Uh, you, the other thing, like, so yeah, they got this room set up, so you can tell that they took a lot of precautions with it um, to make sure the fucking alien doesn't get out of there, which even then, you can see this, Dr. Moon scared of these things, which, I mean, you should be. Right, yeah, um, it's... Uh, um, go ahead, if you had something there. <laughs> sorry, I don't remember what I was saying, but I feel like the PTFE was the, like, polyurethane... Because from what I understand about the um, the room that they're in, and this goes another reference to Breaking Bad, when Jesse and Walter are getting rid of bodies, they throw them in plastic tubs that can't be eaten by acid. And I want to say it was like polyurethane or something like that. Um, that's probably not right. I don't remember the exact. Oh, like, yeah, it was polyfluoride something or other but yeah yeah that's it's coming back i don't remember exactly what it stands for but yeah it's basically the shit that kills them right yeah 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 and i think the ptfe is like the symbol for that plastic or whatever it is so i think that like the cylinders that were put into the cranium were so that the acidic blood didn't eat them so then that yeah, way, something, yeah. something like that they could inject it in or something if it got out of control. Right, yeah. Like a kill a kill a kill remote. Right, yeah. But yeah, I just I thought that it was really cool. And you know, I I definitely again all this is set up, right? So I feel that Patel and Dr. Moon, you know, they're definitely gonna come back into play. But I guess if I have to guess as to what's happening is I definitely think that there something is going to hit the fan. And the xenomorphs get away, and then a colonial colonial marines will be sent in to de-escalate the xenomorphs. If I had to predict where the book is going to go, that's probably a pretty good call. Yeah, but outside of that, I don't have any other comments. Um, Very brutal chapter, and I loved it. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead and uh, we can go through chapter seven. Yeah. The chapter opens at Rosanna Vasquez's ranch house near the Gulf of Mexico. She had bought it from a man named Robert Boone. He had two kids near Leticia and Ramon's age. Rosanna felt an instant connection with Robert, and this place helped keep her sober. We get a flashback to her accident on an operating table, still conscious. She started to fade and had a few final thoughts. She was mad at God and hoped she would die. She had surrendered. But she awoke and was alive and took it as a sign. She found out she had been placed in a medically induced coma for two months to recover, and the nightmares she had during this time were a side effect. A nurse leaves paperwork for her to look at. She finds out that her mother is dead and Jeanette has been put into foster care. This was almost too much for her, and the physical pain she felt didn't compare to what her soul felt. The fact that her sister was alive was a sign that she took that she took the vaccine she had given her, and it worked, and she now knew she needed to stay alive also. Her car accident had robbed her of being a nurse, but she found fulfillment in counseling. The accident also took away her ability to have children of her own, but she found out she was going to be an aunt. Talking to Jeanette about her options regarding pregnancy and her military career, she could either carry them to term and give birth or terminate the pregnancy. In either case, after her choice, she would be sterilized. No option to have children later. Rosanna says she will take them and keep them in the family. If she chooses not to terminate, but she would respect either choice. Jeanette asks if she is sure, and Rosanna tells her she wouldn't bring it up if she wasn't serious. When they were born, Rosanna picked them up from California and took them to Texas, realizing most of her family was dead, and these two would carry the Vasquez name. One day, she would tell them about their mother. In the meantime, she would do her best to raise them one day at a time. So I think this was a section get, you were talking about with the rolling of eyes. Yeah, and we get we get kind of some jumping around with time here a little bit because this you know goes back to basically you know I, I got the sense that like some of this took place before the first chapter even um, you know is going on. One right. thing that we haven't we we haven't talked about that is mentioned in the book is that there's this like worldwide pandemic going on with uh, a disease that. I, what did, I don't even know if I remember what it did. Um, I don't remember. But a ton of people, yeah, a ton of people are dying, and I mean, I guess it was. I, it, I got the sense it was more severe than COVID, but that was kind of the connection to to our world. Um, but yeah, she had she was able to smuggle away a vaccine, and she wanted to give it to her mom, but her mom wouldn't take it, so then she gave it to Jeanette, and Jeanette took it. Right. Um, but yeah, and that's so she was going to be a nurse and yeah what i think she was on the way to to the hospital to work some overtime or something to help and she got in this car accident um that messed her up right and i think it was because she had been drinking right like i'm am i connecting those two correctly i guess i don't remember for certain but it's certainly possible because yeah she's seen a lot of death and and everything well because i feel like in later on in the chapters when she's talking about the twins she brings up sobriety so i think that uh yeah robert and his place helped her to keep sober so when she bought the house from robert boone um being that instant connection with robert um had helped to keep her sober so i'm imagining that this car accident 
uh, was more or less self-induced because she was drunk while driving. Yeah, not a not a good combination. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I, d- I definitely can see where, um, especially after you know chapter five, you're kind of like, okay, where is this going? You know what I mean? And I feel like this is where a lot of people are getting off the highway. But I think that this all just serves a bigger purpose. Yeah, I, I do too. So it's I I don't know I I still it's it still kept me drawn in even at this point. So oh, absolutely, yeah. But out I mean, I guess outside of that, I don't have any other um, any other thoughts, particularly on this on this section. Um, very much kind of getting you know the backstory of Rosanna and kind of where she is currently, and you know, yeah, right. Um, I guess, oh, the other thing that was kind of interesting was, you know, she was in a coma for two months and she had these nightmares about androids chasing her, which were pretty descriptive um, and kind of creepy. So I wonder if that has any type of foreshadowing. Uh, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to reread that chapter again. Um, Maybe. Okay. Well, I guess we'll, we'll have to keep a, uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that then. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'm ready if you're ready. All right. Chapter 8. Letitia had inherited her mother's spirit. News had come home when she was 10 that her mother was killed in action. Rosanna did her best to raise the twins with a normal life, and the money that followed Jeanette's death was for them. And she was sure to make it last. Even though there was plenty of sibling rivalry from the two children... We get an idea of what it was like for the twins interacting with each other as they were children. And at home, Rosanna had always tried to instill that family was all they had and they needed to respect each other. At school, however, Ramon was treated as an outcast for his early signs of brilliance. During the children's 17th birthday, Rosanna had a Dia de los Muertos altar. She had made it a point since they were young to visit the altar and honor their mother and family members that had passed on. Rosanna informs them that she doesn't want to keep secrets from them and confesses that when she got word that Jeanette was giving her babies to her, that they were the reason for her sobriety and that their mother lives on through them. It was near Letitia's birthday and Rosanna had asked her what she wanted to do with some suggestions on activity and food. Letitia said she wanted to hang out at the mall with her friends. Letitia and her friends are shopping in a store and her friends all want to get her a grift. Grift. A gift. The racist shopkeeper claims that Letitia put something in her pocket. Internal rage filled Letitia, and after some words exchanged between her and the storekeeper, she grabs the storekeeper's hair and pulls out a huge clump of it. The shopkeeper calls for authorities, and Letitia is taken to the police station. I thought it was cool. Um, just kind of the sense of like family. I can, I mean, I can only imagine, right? Like Letitia and Ramon are. You know, they know that Rosanna is their Tia or their aunt, right? So they know they know that she's not their mother, but yet Rosanna is still playing the mother role. They're putting on the mother and father and aunt hat all at the same time and just trying to go about raising them as best and normal as she can. But there's going to be some res- resentment there. And, you know, especially with kids that want to know their parents, you know what I mean? And knowing that, that they are dead 
doesn't help answer that stuff. So you kind of, Rosanna's got to guide these two into their own, their own being, you know? So I really right. get a good sense of that in this chapter where like, she's definitely on the struggle bus, but she's doing everything in my opinion, the right way. And she's finding a way to make it work. I'm, su- I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen like a, you know, you're you're not my mom type deal. Like, right. They seem to respect her quite a bit. Right. Absolutely. Because, I mean, she's been there for them. And that makes sense. But there's still the kind of that, like, underlying resentment, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and clearly at this point in Letitia and Ramon's relationship with each other is that, you know, they I'm sure that they, like, love and care about each other, but they're definitely estranged, you know? Letitia's kind of seems to, as... Res- or as the chapter opens up with kind of like her mother's spirit so very kind of similarly more not more or less but kind of following in Jeanette's footsteps if that makes sense where Ramon is right yeah like kind of on the wrong side of, of circumstances so to speak maybe not right. wrong side but like the unjust side of circumstances where Ramon is is kind of more like closeted. He's super smart and uh, intelligent and kind of like using his intelligence to his advantage, you know? Right. Staying out of trouble, et cetera. Yeah, and, and we definitely get some more of that later on. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and kind of another reflection of, of modern day racism, right? Uh, with the whole... Uh, storekeeper kind of following around someone who is a person of color and then suspects them of doing something and then gets up in their face and errands them, you know, and <laughs> Letitia doesn't even do anything about it, but yet, you know, that rage that is inside of her, right? Like her mother's spirit just kind of took control. And I think that it's just, it's confusing to her, you know, like she's got that internal instinct, but yet, at the same time, like I can imagine, you know, uh, Rosanna's voice popping in her head, like, no, don't do it. But just the rage, the rage of, of that, that wrongness, that racism just kind of takes over and, and the shopkeeper gets what she deserves. Yeah. And it's the, it's the same thing that was with Vast or Jeanette, you know, there's, the, the authorities show up and she empties her pockets and there's there's nothing there. There's no proof that she did anything. It was all just suspicion. Not even like valid suspicion at that. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's all just, that 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 part was bullshit. I was not a fan of that. But, but yeah, <laughs> not much just, you can do. And this is kind of where you know I think that even though people are, I, I think that what's happening is people are so turned off after chapter five that like they're just not paying attention to the details here and the similarities that they're trying to convey with Letitia almost kind of like a she's inheriting Vesk like Jeanette's and I think that Letitia is going to carry on some like really cool shit you know something later on in in the chapter that like makes the Vasquez name proud. And, and I think that's why the book is titled Vasquez. Yeah. It took me a little bit of time to kind of come to that realization that it's, you know, it, it, it isn't, it isn't a book about 
Jeanette. It's 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 the family name and and you know what follows. Right. And from what I understand about like and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, Latina culture is that it's very it's very family centric. So yeah, definitely. Think, yeah, yeah. It makes sense to the character, but also like you know, V Castro, uh, Latin X, I think is, is how she likes to be referred to, um, you know, also has a lot of experience and memories from her own life that she adds into this, which I just think makes it so much more powerful. And I think that it's not getting the just, it's not getting what like what it deserves because People are just oh well this is a boring section this is this is sloggy you know yeah I I guess I yeah I've not felt that it's been slow or sloggy or anything like that so I mean I, there I mean things have been happening the whole time right but yeah I guess that's all I have to say about uh, chapter eight there all right well go ahead and yeah I don't have anything to add either sweet. All right. Rosanna waited at the entrance to the station where Leticia was released from a three-hour hold. She had talked to Leticia's friends who confirmed the story, and she asks Leticia what is going on. She knows this isn't normal behavior. Leticia doesn't feel like she knows who she is, while she feels like Ramon has everything figured out. She doesn't feel like she knows where she belongs. Once home, she takes a nap. When she reawakens, Rosanna gives her a letter from her mother. She says that she was supposed to wait until she was 18, but figures now is the right time. After reading her mother's letter, she knew she wouldn't settle to be ordinary and was determined to be in the Raider Regiment of the Marines. She had a year to prepare and train before she could enlist. She talked to Rosanna about getting a tattoo, a picture of her mother on one arm, and El Rizigo Sempre Vive on the other. She gives the okay, as she knows Leticia will probably do it anyways, and she knows a guy. She gets the ink a few days later when Ramon sees it. He says it's unprofessional and does not do their mother justice. That she would be disappointed in her and that he thinks it's desperate and pathetic. She slaps the shit out of his face and says he isn't her dad and it's not her body and that their mother would be ashamed of his arrogance. He asks how stupid she is, signing up to become the thing that killed their mother, saying she is repeating their mother's mistakes. She says she is doing it right and going into the Raiders. Rosanna is tired of the fighting and says that they are both old enough for a job to keep them out of trouble. They can work at the ranch and Leticia can learn to shoot there. They make up for their fight and apologize to each other. So, I mean, I thought this chapter was cool. And I feel like the biggest takeaway is one, the letter. And two, it kind of allows Leticia to, to uh, more or less figure out who it, who it is that she who it is that she's meant to be kind of going back to very early on in that chapter where she doesn't know who she wants to be or who she is and you know I've had moments of like that in my life and and you know it's not fun to kind of go through this like identity crisis you know but on the other hand you've got Ramon and we don't ever get to read his letter but I'm assuming that he's kind of come up with his own judgments of his mom which are very opposite to that of Leticia. so it's just kind of furthering that estrangement a little bit um yeah i can i can see what you're saying i, I am curious about what his letter would say yeah 
I'm curious too. I would, I can only imagine that it's along the same lines, maybe even potentially the same letter. I don't think though, I don't think that would be the case, but I feel like it's definitely, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, this, this might be a detail that again, I, maybe you noticed from the movie, but the El Resigo Siempre Vive is what Jeanette has written across her armor in the movie. Oh, I did not catch that. No, that's cool. And it tr- translates to the risk always lives. Oh, I see. And not taking Spanish. I did not know that. That That's cool. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I like that quite a bit. Um, but yeah, the, the letter is, I think once I read the letter for Letitia, is kind of where my outlook on the book had changed. Um, you know, where I'd, I'd kind of gotten over, I guess, I guess my bitterness of, of Jeanette's death scene being in the book and, and where I really kind of realized that I, I feel like this, uh, this book is kind of a, I guess, I feel like it's kind of a, a love letter to Jeanette Vasquez in, in a way. Right. Um, you know, just the family name being carried on and everything. Right. Exactly. And I think that's, it's more, it's, it's that type of, uh, it's that type of thinking or that line of thinking. And essentially it's just, you know, Jeanette is living on through Letitia is, is where, is what I'm getting from this. And I think that it's meant to be taken in a deeper context along those lines that you mentioned. Yeah, I I think so too. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I agree that she's living on through her daughter. Exactly. Exactly. Which makes, makes total sense. Like, I, I think, I mean, I feel like, that is a little bit better than what I was expecting. You know, I feel like if it was just what did chapter five end on what page 50, maybe. And if it was another 350 pages of Jeanette fighting aliens, I feel like that might get a little stale. Like what can you really do with all that? So I think that setting it up for her to go early and then having her live on through Letitia and then Letitia doing some amazing shit is, uh, I guess, the better way to write that story, in my opinion. Yeah, like I mean, I think it's yeah, it's definitely different than you and I both thought it was going to be, but not uh, not in a bad way. Right, but yeah, I guess I don't really have anything else to say about that particular chapter. I don't, I don't think I do either. Um, but yeah, the you know the El Resigo Siempre Vive is. Uh, I don't. I didn't find out what that meant till a few years ago. But I'd always, always wondered what it meant. And once I found out what it translated to, it's something I've I've liked a lot. All right. Cool. Yeah, I like that uh, detail. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Um, chapter ten. Letitia approached the Boone farm, thinking that Avery, Robert's son, was good looking. Letitia has memories of this house from when she was younger, when her, Ramon, Avery. And Lucinda would play together, and the and the memories that surrounded Robert and Rosanna at the farm. Lucinda took Letitia to the barn that they used to play in. Lucinda unlocks the weapon cache and then programs Letitia to have access to it. Every morning, Letitia woke up, and Rosanna would take her to work on Robert's farm. During this time, a romance between Letitia and Avery blossomed. Letitia liked the oddities of the chore and animals on the farm. Letitia and Lucinda were finished painting the small barn. Packing up their supplies, they started to head out. On the dirt road, Lucinda stops and tells Letitia that she forgot her phone. After a while, and nearly, and 
and nearly near the big house, Lucinda hadn't returned. Letitia calls her and doesn't answer. Not knowing what to do and acting on instinct, she runs to the large barn and grabs a pistol and books it back to the smaller barn. The door was closed and dry tracks were in the mud. Opening the door, a skinny man was there and Lucinda was bonded with tape over her mouth. Words were exchanged between the man and Letitia. Pulling a bowie knife from his belt strap, Letitia fired three shots. Two hit his left foot and the third hit the ground. Letitia was able to cut the ropes that held Lucinda. The sound of gunfire brought the attention of Robert and Rosanna. The police had arrived. It was an android officer and it placed the guy under arrest. With encouragement from everyone, Letitia felt confident that she could be a Marine. The next day, Avery and Letitia were watching the sunset. Being somewhat romantic with each other, they talked about their futures and their goals for each other. Letitia thanks Avery for showing her how to shoot. Avery tells her that she's a natural and that the Marines would be a good fit for her. I like I like the ominous of this this chapter, and you don't really get a sense of it from the summary here, but you know, it's it's like dark out when this when this is all taking place and you know, Avery and Lucinda and Letitia were all talking about wolves in the area and uh letitia kind of has a moment of a panic or anxiety because you know she's hearing things rustling in the surrounding woods as she's walking back to like the larger the larger barn or the the big house is, is i think what it was um so to be in that moment where you know your mind can literally think of anything and for you to to act like that it was it was just cool it was it was awesome to read that you know yeah it was and there was there was a uh, a detail that um was given they'd noticed this truck driving slowly the past couple of days past the property and and i was wondering in the back of my mind like what's going to happen with this like something something must be coming from it right but yeah, i didn't I, didn't know what I didn't catch that until they revealed that she had said that, but just didn't think anything of it to say anything to anybody, you know? Right. Yeah. I didn't know anything would come of it, but I was just like, that seems kind of odd. Yeah. So I think it's cool. You know, the, the different like relationships that were getting introduced, like Robert and Rosanna uh, clearly have a thing together. You know, I think that at one point Letitia brings up like when, when they're going to get married. Um, So it's uh but then you've also got you got lucinda and then her brother avery and leticia so this kind of like trifecta where yeah i like your brother your brother's cute you know that type of thing and and avery and leticia have this romance kind of going on and it was avery who actually like took took uh leticia out to do some target practicing with some cans and and one of the pistols so she did kind of have some small experience with shooting a gun before, before kind of confronting this dude in the barn, this predator. Yeah, it is. I don't know if you ever shot a pistol. I've done it a couple times. Oh it's yeah, like, a million times. It's hard. Oh, yeah, have you? <laughs> yeah, my dad's got like my dad is like a Western fanatic, and he's got all these different types of revolvers and like twenty twos and like thirty eights. Just all in holsters, just hanging around the house. <laughs> so, so whenever I visit, always, my, yeah, whenever I visit, yeah, I will always pull one out and just you know 
pull the hammer back and you know rotate the barrel and yeah take the clips out <laughs> and all that stuff yeah it's a lot a lot different than shooting a like shotgun or rifle yeah absolutely um yeah i guess i don't really have a ton in that section i felt like it was pretty it was pretty action oriented and very straightforward i don't think yeah i agree I, out. I didn't have anything else either sweet well i'll uh i'll bring it around home then last chapter for now here a year had slowly passed since the incident at the farm Letitia hardly worked there anymore while her classmates focused on exams and prepping for college she focused on training for the raiders she had to fend off advances from avery and she felt bad about it but she didn't love him she has the itch for another tattoo of santa Murte that covered most of her back the saint of death she figured this was an act of faith thinking that seeing and believing this would happen she thought it would happen, had to happen. She had the saint of death on her back after all. When she got home, Rosanna had some things of her mother's. One item was a Bruce Springsteen t-shirt. She brought it up to her face to see if she could smell anything of her mother. She was unable to detect any hint, but it still meant the world to her to have some of her mother's things. As they were about to eat dinner, a man showed up at the door, a friend of Rosanna's. He was here to cut Letitia's hair. She wanted it cut like Jeanette's. Once the haircut was done, she felt ready to conquer unfinished business. She was old enough to submit her application for the Marines. Ramon came in and saw her and said that they will have to let her in. She looks just like their mom. Days went by. Ramon got a full ride to Harvard, but yet Letitia still waited on the acceptance letter. The waiting was tough as she had no backup plan. She didn't want to settle for ranch life. She... She knew she wasn't above it, but knew that she was meant for more. Graduation came from school, and like she waited on a message, she waited for her name to be called, her diploma, and the waiting sucked. The message finally arrived in the middle of the night. She was in. She could hardly speak and was overcome with emotions. Now her journey really was beginning. As excited as she was, there was still sadness that she would be leaving behind the only mother mother figure she had ever known. Rosanna had one more gift for Letitia, a gold cross on a gold chain. Letitia's mother had died with the same one, though this one belonged to Letitia's grandfather, Seraphin. Letitia was taken back and asked if she was sure. Rosanna said yes, and to let it remind her that they are each a link. In the end, everything comes full circle because they are connected. Before Letitia leaves Rosanna, takes her to a shaman for Temzakal. Rosanna says every, every time she does one, she finds clarity. Letitia wonders what she will see. The next day, they arrive for the ritual. The man running it says to stay focused on the moment. That is the best advice for this. Focus on her breathing. She will be tested and to be true to her breath as it comes from within. As she falls into the moment, she has an out-of-body experience. She could feel something waiting for her in the dark. Her heartbeat raced. It felt like something wanted to burst out of her. In her vision, she was on a pyramid, and there were monsters fighting their way up. She turned around, and she felt something there and saw one of these monsters and screamed and threw up her arms to fight. She was shaken back to the waking world, and Rosanna told her she was safe. She didn't understand what had happened, but was told she was facing her demons. Letitia was left some self-doubt and didn't know if she could continue. Rosanna reassures her that she can do 
that she can and not to underestimate the power of unfinished business. Did you get uh did you get the scene or not the scene, but the image of alien versus predators? The first one in the, the ice pyramid or whatever. Yep. Yeah, I got uh, definitely um vibes of, of that. Uh the aliens climbing up to get to the predators, but yeah, I think you know what she's feeling this darkness is definitely the aliens and um i i wonder if there's if it's foreshadowing if she's gonna get hit with a face hugger um because she's got this feeling in her chest that something's gonna burst out of her yeah i kind of felt that way too which i feel like would be very very unfortunate um (laughs) be pretty pretty dark Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like Letitia here is kind of avenging her mother in a way, right? Like her mom, Jeanette, was taken out by aliens or sacrificing herself because of the aliens. And so like it would kind of it would be cool. It would be cool to see her take down or, you know, outsmart and outthwart these aliens in some way, shape or form that makes her mother proud. Yeah, I, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. You know, I, I wonder if this is going to be a, a happy ending for a book or not. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess it's it's hard to say if it's gonna if it's gonna end up that way. But you know, we'll just have to do what, Derek? Read and find out. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm definitely curious as to where this is going to go, and and I think that things are definitely going to start start winding up, but. You know, I feel like all of this is, is necessary because, like, I think it would be different if the outcome is that she, you know, ends up fighting some aliens. I feel like it would be a lot different if it was just Jeanette died, Letitia's now in the Marines, Letitia's Vasquez's daughter. You know what I mean? Like, I just I feel like there needs to be some buildup. I think that there needs to be some character development. I think that there needs to be... And I think that's exactly what the author was trying to do. Yeah. And I'm, like you said, I'm sure it's going to ramp up and we're probably going to get all that and see all that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what a, what a, what a good book so far. I'm, I'm liking how easy it is to understand <laughs> stuff comparative to Malazan. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to have a, like, some, like sometimes, you know, we read these chapters in Malazan and you're just, you're kind of mentally drained after just, you know, finishing the one chapter, but, this it's nice you know i can we can read you know a few chapters at a time here um and i mean not, yeah. not that i want to get through it quicker but it's just like i know we're not doing this one like one chapter at a time so it's it's kind of at our own pace type of deal right yeah absolutely and i mean not to mention we just summarized 11 chapters whereas with malazan to do that in to not only summarize 11 chapters but talk about it in under an hour and a half. <laughs> Impossible. So, right. Right. So, but you know, I mean, everybody, everybody goes about things differently. Everybody has a different way of, of storytelling. And I think that the way that this is going, like it feels really cinematic to me. The story so far seems very cinematic. Yeah, I think so too. But I guess I feel like I've said everything that I need to say about uh, the first halfish of vasquez here i think the only other thing that i would add and i don't remember what chapter it was in um but there's a reference to cutter vasquez i don't know if you remember that but um that is 
one of her nephews, I believe, and he was in um, one of the comics that came out recently, um, Aliens Aftermath. And in that story, he's he's like a, uh, I think he's kind of like a reporter or something, or he's part of like a, I don't like a kind of like a terrorist group or something. And they actually go back to LV426 and after they blow up the reactor and everything. Um, and I think they, he's, he's looking for whatever he can find. Um, but it was cool just to see another connection to some of the extended universe stuff. I did not know that. Cool. I was kind of wondering what that meant. Like, I didn't know if like, it was a, like, I guess I always just went to like suicide cutter, you know, uh, didn't know if she was just going through like a bout of depression when she was talking or when they were talking about cutter. Like Cutter Vasquez, I didn't realize. Oh no, the name. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you wouldn't unless you had read the comic. You wouldn't know. I've just I've happened to have read that. Gotcha. No, that is cool. It's a nice little. See, you're you're throwing me all the deets here. I'm loving it. <laughs> well, anything else you want to talk about here on this? Not at all, man. I feel like uh, we could totally wrap this up. All right. Well, we will uh, continue to read this book. I guess I don't really know when when we'll come back to finish it up here, but it'll be coming soon. And yeah, we'll have a, it'll, we'll have Christian on for that, which will be a good time. And then uh, we'll have to figure out a time to get the author here. Absolutely. I'm excited. A little nervous, but yeah, I'm excited too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I guess Mr. Derek, I will, uh, I guess we'll talk some other time. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your your Sunday evening here, and we will talk soon. All right. You too, buddy. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. You always were an asshole, Gorman.